like basketball was supposed to be the sport that I went to college on and, and sort of what my career was going to be based on, I, I think. And that obviously quickly shifted from it finally getting a diagnosis of this isn't temporary. This is what you got for the rest of your life. We're going to go out on the field. We're going to score as many goals as we can. We're going to have fun. Oh, Becky, you're well placed. Sports have always been a family affair for Jen Armbruster. Her parents were competitive athletes, and they made it a point for the Armbruster sisters to be involved in sports and recreation from a young age. Sports were treated as something you have fun with, and something to be taken seriously, that you could get better at if you worked. Like on the racquetball court, when Jen and her two sisters would play around on one court, then their parents, who were competitive racquetball players, would take them in one by one on the next court to do skills training. Living overseas as a military family, sports also was just this way for them to spend time together. And it was kind of perfect when they moved to Colorado Springs in the mid-80s. Jen's mom took a position at the U.S. Olympic Training Center. The family loved sports. So it wasn't that surprising then that Jen was playing sports with her family that day when she was 14. I remember being in the outfield with my mom, um, shagging balls. My sister was at bat, and my, I think my dad was pitching, and my other sister was uh, catching. And um, I still my mom was having some pain in my one eye, and it was a little blurry. And we thought maybe I just had dust in my eyes under my contacts or something. Uh, went home, tried to clear that out. It didn't clear up. Um, went to the optometrist, who right away sent me to the ophthalmologist up at the Air Force Academy um, in Colorado Springs. And uh, they said, you know, my nerve was definitely swollen, my optic nerve. Um, they were hoping it was going to clear up. It did it. <laughs> and about three months later, um, the same symptoms were in my left eye. Um, and so that was back in 1989. And so at that point, um, I was legally blind in both eyes. Um, I was left with basically some peripheral vision out of my left eye. I had light and dark and some shadows in my right eye. Um, but that was it. No finger counting or anything. And like I said, I had peripheral out of my left eye. And so, yeah, I was 14, beginning of my freshman year. So still played competitive sports with being legally blind. And like basketball was supposed to be the sport that I went to college on. And, and sort of what my career was going to be based on, I, I think. And that obviously quickly shifted from it finally getting a diagnosis of this isn't temporary, this is what you got for the rest of your life. At 14 years old, Jen had lost a lot of her vision and the course of her life changed forever. And in that monumental shift to a new reality, sport was there. It had been there since she was five, a constant. My coaches at that time, I mean, I. I played volleyball, um, went in as just a server because I couldn't follow the ball quick enough um, to really be playing in the field. So my team played six on five after the serving. Um, and then basketball, um, I never telegraphed a pass after that. <laughs> um, went by the lines on the floor because that's what I could see, even though I couldn't see the hoop as far as making shots. Uh, we shifted to play man-on-man -man defense, so it was easier for me to track um, folks. Um, so my coaches were great um, you know, throughout really my, my, my high school career. So sport wasn't going to be going anywhere anytime soon in Jen's life. They were going to stick around. 
In high school, someone decided to write a story about Jen playing basketball as a legally blind athlete. And that story ended up in the right hands. A gentleman called me up to try the sport of goalball. And I went, oh, what the hell? It says ball in it. Let's <laughs> go see what it's about. Goalball. It's a team sport designed specifically for athletes with visual impairments. It's played three on three indoors, usually on like a volleyball type of court. And pretty much the object of the game is to score by throwing a ball that has bells embedded in it into the opponent's goal. I continued my education in mainstream, um, but the gentleman from the School for the Deaf and Blind in Colorado Springs called me up to try the sport. And uh, my dad and my mom have always coached as well, competitive from kids all the way through adults and military leagues um, in high school. And so uh, my dad took me down and uh, we learned the sport together. Goalball was obviously going to be a family affair too. And that paid off quick. And they handed us a key to the gym. And so my dad and I started training <laughs> together then. Um, and I was still playing basketball and then going over there to, to practice goalball when I could. And um, nationals happened to be in Colorado Springs the summer of 1990. There wasn't a Colorado team. So my dad, being the coach that he was, got the rule book recruited some players. We got some, some players that didn't have teams that were coming as pool players. And uh, we took second in nationals that year. So I definitely credit sports for probably getting me through the emotional part, I guess. Um, Cause being a competitive athlete, I mean, that's why I did well in school. My, my parents' rules were a little stricter than the school districts. If, you know, we weren't pulling A's and B's, we didn't play, you know? Um, you, and, they knew me and my sisters. We love sports. We love to practice. We love to play. Um, and so therefore we managed our time real well. <laughs> and we, we did okay in school and did all those type things um, because of our sports and our recreation. So when I lost my vision, it was the same, the same expectations that I would, you know, pull the schoolwork. Um, and my family absolutely contributed to not only the sports thing with my father getting involved, obviously coaching. Um, but when it did come to the schooling and those type things, my parents spent a lot of time with me helping to transcribe things from a big whiteboard from me doing my math onto, you know, a piece of paper to go back into to school. Um, then my school district stepped up and, and got me my accommodations that I needed right away. And um, yeah, so between said friends and family and sports, that's, mm. I think what got me through the emotional piece of dealing with it. For three years, Jen's vision was stable. Doctors believe the vision loss had been acute. It was just those two events when she was 14. You know, a virus had attacked her optic nerve in those spots, but the virus had settled, or maybe it was radiation exposure. But then she went totally blind. And I mean, I was literally, I was turning in my homework because I was going to miss the first two weeks of my senior year for the Barcelona Games. Barcelona Games, as in the 1992 Paralympic Games, when she was 17. She was good. So I was turning in all my homework that was going to be due those first two weeks. And we started at nine that morning doing a couple errands, ran out to the high school to turn it in. And by the time I um, walked into my, um, uh, my trig algebra class um, to turn in my work, I couldn't see the board anymore. She went to go explain something. And I said, that's not going to work. Um, and that was, like I said, two, two days before we were leaving for the Barcelona Games. And so that was, it was huge. Like I said, I had my teammates, um, you know, went off to the Paralympics um, as a totally blind athlete. So that was definitely new for me because that's not 
the experience that I had. I had some usable vision during the day. Um, but yeah, sports for sure is what got me through it and just the people that are around me. Goalball is played with blindfolds. So the fundamentals of her play didn't change a whole lot with the new vision loss. But how she prepared for competition did shift. The visualization was huge for me and still is. Um, throughout my whole career, I used visualization. I, I mean, I still... There's an old gym at the School for the Deaf and Blind that we spent hours practicing. My dad one-on-one, us with the U.S. team, like different things. Like that's the gym I always remember no matter what court I go on to play, um, where I'm setting up shots for accuracy or whatever, that's the gym. So the visualization piece is still, is still key. Um, I remember my coach met me in New York because we were flying separate if you were from the West or the East to go over to the games. And she's like, are you going to be okay to play? play blindfolded so <laughs> let's move on um and it, and like I said in in being in that Paralympic environment I was around other athletes so I think I was huge not just from the sporting aspect and getting through but also through life right like I my teammates they were a teacher they were going to get married they had kids so there was just role models around me some of them you know were maybe born with their visual impairment but you know some of them lost it pretty quickly as well so just having those stories, it, it was going to be okay, right? Like you're going to get through it. You're going to go to college. You're going to do whatever the goals are that you set um, and get through that piece of it. I think what really struck me in listening to Jen's story, and I pointed it out to her, just the sense that it didn't seem like there was ever much of a pause from her or her support system. Like this life-changing event happens. She's 14. God knows how awful 14 can be in general and it was incredibly emotional for her i would never try to underestimate that here in my own words or when jen talks about it herself but also like when it came to sports and specifically goalball she seemed to really open her arms up just let it take her threw herself in and hit the ground running on this paralympic path she credits the lack of a pause to her upbringing that sports loving family of hers. I don't know that we would have had a pause. Um, my parents had the same expectations for me that they had for my sisters. And they kind of were always, you know, how do you get around the next obstacle? How do we do that? And I think they were great about stepping back when it needed to be me that got around the obstacle or stepping in because I was a kid to help me around, under, or through them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, to say there wasn't a time that there wasn't anger or there wasn't a pause or there wasn't doubt. There definitely was. I mean, I definitely remember like set in 89, one of the treatments they started was um, high dose steroids Mm -hmm. to try to, to try to stop the inflammation. It did nothing. And I remember when I was going total in those four hours, my parents respected my decision because they're like, well, the doctors want to put you back on steroids. And I said, no, (laughs) it didn't do anything three years ago. Um, other than make me miserable, um, like, and I have the games coming up in a few weeks. Um, cause I started having the eye pain actually before I had the vision loss in those four hours. Um, but I said, you know, I refused them because it would disqualify me from the games. She played in those games in 1992 and then for another six Paralympic games. She has two bronze, one silver and one gold medal. In Beijing, she was a flag bearer for the U.S. during the opening ceremonies. Now, Barcelona, I was a 17-year-old kid, so like I said, 25 years, so I played in my 40s at that competitive level, so it absolutely influenced everything in my life from, like I said, the, my, my teammates and, and knowing 
college was a, an option to um, starting a family. My, my, my first marriage was from goalball. You know, I had married a teammate. You know, we got divorced a few years ago, but, you know, we have a, a kid out of that relationship, obviously, that we both love very much. So that's huge, <laughs> obviously, with an influence. Um, my, you know, my parents went over as spectators in 92, um, even though um, my dad was coaching our local team. You know, then he became the assistant coach in 94 um, and then was the head coach, you know, from the 96 games on. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, you know, like I said, I mentioned before, my mom worked, you know, at the, at the training center. So, I mean, she was through a few of my rehabs <laughs> with my shoulders. Um, when she worked at sports medicine, she got to see that piece of it to, you know, outfitting us for my later games when she worked in international games prep. Um, so my family's always been involved in that piece of it. So for sure, um, goalball and that the whole thing has been a, a huge, a huge part of my life. Um, you know, in my second marriage as well. I mean, I, I married, you know, someone I played against 20 something years ago, <laughs> you know, at, at, you know, in the, in the early, not early, but mid nineties and stuff. Um, you know, we'd maintained our friendship and different things. Um, but you know, we were just in a different place in life, you know, where our paths were able to connect again. And so, yeah, I mean, so I, goalball, I think has been essential for all, all my life when just events, but then I guess the other, the other piece has been the structure for sure um, of having my training plan, doing all those types, having goals. Um, You know, after 2016, I, I, I knew that it was, that was it Um, with with the car accident um, back in 2014 and and having to go through that, that rehab and still having to deal with that going through the games. I knew 2016 was going to be it. And I was okay with that from the level of letting it go. But the part that it hit me was the structure. Like, I'm like, what do I, what do I do? Like, it's been so structured of this is when family time is. This is when I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm getting up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning to get my workouts in so I can go to work. Um, so I can get my second workout in, you know, thank goodness I work in a gym, right? So I get my other workout in while I'm there, be able to come home, spend time with the kid and and have that family time that I, that I wanted. So it was, it was definitely strange to to know what to do. I think I got more done when I was training, competing, <laughs> full-time job, new kiddo. <laughs> um, now I'm kind of like, wait, it's, it's almost a little too much free time um, to structure. And I'm curious, you, you talked about in the beginning um, when you were 14 and through, you know, through 17, you really leaned into to sport and it really became something um, that helped you get through a pretty, a pretty difficult time. And I assume, you know, again, 25 years, it becomes a big part of your identity. You mentioned the shift in, in structure and how you managed your time, but was there any sort of um, who, who am I moment or um, this thing that helps me get through these really difficult times is no longer around? What now? Um, yeah, for me, I, part of it, absolutely. The identity of being a Paralympian or a gold medalist was, was always there. Um, and I embraced that piece of it, but even probably going to, into 2016, you know, my son was born in 2011. So, um, you know, he's going to be five. So even had I not had the injury and I had not had whatever, I'd already sort of made up my mind that I wanted to focus more on him. And that kind of thing. So I think my identity started shifting. Mm-hmm. The Paralympian was absolutely part of it. Um, but I think by the time I retired, I had the, the biggest identity for me was being a mom. Mm. Um, 
and holding both of those. But as far as like the scales and stuff like that, I was definitely more like, cool, I've, I've known his writer's mom, <laughs> you know, more so than the metal I had or, or any of those kind of things. Um, and that was, I think, huge for me. And I think it hit, you know, I told you in 2014 was my, the accident, but that was also, we had world championships that year. Um, and so he was turning three, we were at a world championship. So that was world championships we won. Um, we took gold that year, but I remember on his birthday, um, FaceTiming him and he told me it wasn't his birthday because it was his birthday. He, I would be there (laughs) and I went, okay, (laughs) you're right. You know? Um, so I think from there, it was just this, you know, like I said, I've been very fortunate with our family and stuff like that, that, you know, my mom would come in and and babysit and, you know, my, my mom and my sister brought him to the London games. I specifically did not want him, um, or my mom down in Brazil, um, at that time and things with, with Zika and just the climate and stuff. So I had actually asked them not to be there. Um, but you know, they stepped up and my mom stayed home and watched the kiddo, you know, and stuff and, and did those kind of things. So I think my identity was starting to change, but absolutely it's, it's, it's definitely different to be on the outside. Um, and just, you know, following the team and following the progress. Um, so I definitely dealt with a little bit of like identity, like, again, from that perspective of who am I, like, what am I pushing for? What are my goals moving forward? So I think that's where I struggled with the, the identity piece. She might have hung up the shoes as a Paralympic medalist in 2016, but Jen's still pretty involved in the sport. She works as a tournament director and coach for youth and adults. And for a full-time job, she's the Inclusive Recreation and Fitness Center Coordinator at Portland State where she oversees the gym, as well as the goalball and wheelchair basketball programs. Also in terms of her involvement, well, there is that family component still. It just looks a little different. Yeah, I got, got remarried a couple, couple years ago, and our teenager um, has a visual impairment. So he's, and he actually plays on our youth goalball team. Um, so he's into the sport, um, and our, my youngest, my nine-year-old that's been raised around the sport his entire life. He has two moms that obviously played at the U S level. Um, so he's always been around it. He likes to shag and he wants to be a referee. (laughs) And that dad of hers went on to become the winningest coach in American goalball history is quite the arm bruster legacy that they've got going. Yeah. My dad coming into the sport he came into it from a coaching perspective. Absolutely. He probably wouldn't have coached had I not lost my vision. He might not ever heard of the sport. Um, but once he was in that, he was a coach. Um, and I called him coach for 20 something years. It drove my nephews nuts. They're like, why do you call grandpa coach? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, my son, right. He's like, you call Papa coach. I'm like, yep. Um, and I mean, that's just what our relationship was for better or for worse. That's what it was for, you know, 20 years. And I remember in Rio, cause we knew that was going to be our last games. We were actually in the airport with our athletic trainer and I turned around and actually called him dad. And she goes, I've never heard you call him dad. <laughs> and, you know, and she'd been with the team really since 2000 and stuff. And she's like, it's really official. You guys are done. And I'm like, guess so. <laughs> Coach remorphed into dad and it was really over. All right. Now this moment Guys, I had to include this. It's amazing. Two run-along guests, it turns out, two run-along guests 28 years ago trained together never to have known that they would be on this spectacular show as guests. I did an episode a a couple months back uh, kind of focused on unusual sports. 
and yeah. ended up interviewing a team handball player and a, a curler. And yeah. it really came through in that conversation how there's a special bond um, yeah. when people play sports that are on the fringe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so I just wonder if that added to the closeness of your teammates and uh, your family in the sport as well. Oh, absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned goal or uh, handball just because in training for the 92 games um, at the training center, Colorado Springs team handball was out there at that time. And that's actually who they matched us up with for training. She trained with Matthew Ryan, a former USA team handball player who was so generous enough to come on the run along episode focused on the retirement transition for obscure sport athletes. That episode was released back at the end of May. Highly suggest that you go check that out, obviously. It's like, well, this is the closest we got to your sport, I think. (laughs) Uh, Which is true. Yeah. And and stuff. And again, I have great relationships with Robert and Jennifer from those teams. You know, they absolutely help really with that, that as well, because that really wasn't in our sport before, like actually putting a training program together and looking at those different things. So yeah, it's funny that you mentioned it because you're right. Like the obscure sports are a little bit, I think we, we just, like I said, rather it's education when you're going out and you tell somebody you play goalball or you play team handball, the question is, well, what is that? Right. Um, and, and so I think there is a, a bond and a closeness there for sure. And then you got to kind of have some Frankenstein answer of it's part, you know, rugby <laughs> part, you know. <laughs> exactly, right? You're, you're, yeah. It's an element of this and an element of that. And then you mix in a little of this and yeah. So goalball kind of has two things going on I'm talking about unique retirement challenges because it's an obscure sport and a Paralympic sport. But again, I already plugged the episode with Matt, so I'm going to focus on the Paralympic part. What are some of the differences in the experience of retirement for athletes with disabilities as compared to athletes without disabilities? I was wondering if you had any sense being in, in the Paralympian world, if, if you think that maybe there are some um, specific um, issues or topics that we, we might not think about as we think about Paralympians transitioning out of their sport, uh, walking away from something that they've sacrificed just as much time and energy and all the things over the years as able-bodied athletes. But obviously there's a difference between the Michael Phelps and you know some of the stars in the in the Paralympian world um for sure I mean I think it's awesome that the medal money is now equal that's great um obviously I didn't see that in during my career which is fine um growth happens but I think that that's probably and I never played for the money so that it doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but when you talk about differences, I think it is different. If you're looking, like you said, at a, a Michael Phelps or somebody like that, that's retiring. There's some security there from a financial aspect, um, you know, through it, rather that's through endorsement, that's through medals, it's through the NGB paying all those different things that looks usually a lot different than on the Paralympic side. Um, I mean, I didn't, as much as I would have loved to be able to train full time and do that, that wasn't an option. Um, not if I was going to eat, <laughs> um, and or my family or any of those type of things like that just wasn't a, a, an option for me in, during my career and and for the, again most of the Paralympic sports and or some of like you said the obscure sports on the Olympic side as well they're facing some of those same things um, so I think that part of retirement is scary because if you have sacrificed and you have the opportunity to do that um, you know to, to be able to train full-time and do that what happens when that's 
done because maybe the endorsements aren't the same and the nest egg isn't built up as much. Um, and it's ironic that, you know, October happens to be National Disability Employment um, Month, um, Awareness Month. And a lot of folks with disabilities are unemployed um, disproportionately and not because they don't have the skills, um, but from a fear out there and things. So I think retirement can be a little daunting for rather you're Olympian or Paralympian, but I think sometimes when you put in one more factor, that can be something that folks worry about when they make that transition um, into the retirement world on now I got to sell myself. I got to find a job. Um, it looks a, a little bit different. I believe there were some conversations happening um, around folks with disabilities, potentially um, with the pandemic and things moving online yep. so much that it might actually be um, a silver lining there uh, for folks with disabilities or there might be an, an advantage. Yep. I think there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, I think there's more advantages and disadvantages at this point. Um, because like I said, I think we're learning that you can do things remotely. So if transportation or those type things were an issue, which a lot of times that is the, a, a barrier for folks, um, that's kind of been eliminated. Um, but we've also went so remote sometimes, like when you're talking about screen readers or something like that, somebody's totally blind, maybe the things that folks are using aren't totally accessible mm -hmm. in the remote world. In other ways, it's awesome that they went technology-wise because we're so far ahead, <laughs> you know? Um, so I think there's absolutely pros and cons and definitely probably more pros than cons that came out of this. Um, I think people are thinking a little bit more about alternatives, which is awesome. Um, as people are now being more proactive, maybe moving forward or thinking about that more proactively um, because everybody's in the same boat or at least in the same ocean. And that looks a little bit different than, than it did before when everything was just more reactionary. We're not that far out from 2021. It's set to be a Paralympic year. We'll see, fingers crossed. It'll be the first in nearly three decades without an arm bruster repping the USA women's goalball team. But Jen, and her dad, of course, did make the trip up to Fort Wayne, Indiana to watch the U.S. team qualify for the Tokyo Games. She says she's looking forward to following the team's progress. And, well, she might have something else in store for next year's Games. But I'll leave that as a cliffhanger. Thank you to Jen Armbruster for coming onto the podcast. And thank you for listening. Hope to see you next time.